Let's um, open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. I think it's always good practice that uh, whenever someone's here um, reading from God's Word, that we also have the, our own Bibles open. So to check, you know, whatever I'm saying is, is true or I could be saying something else. But um, I'm confident that this is God's Word and that I'll let Him speak. And I, I hope that He'll bless what I've prepared to, for you to hear um, him speak. So just as we delve, it's in Philippians chapter 1, we're in verses 18, the second half of the verse 18, right to 26. And just before we get into it, let's, uh, let's pray. Abba Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've uh, blessed us, you've uh, shown your grace to us uh, for allowing us to meet together physically. It's good to fellowship and to worship together, Lord. We are designed to, to do this corporately. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can sit under your word and to listen. And I pray that your spirit then will use it to convict our hearts uh, today in your son's precious name. Amen. So as we look at Philippians, um, Steve already has taken us through the the first uh, uh, segments of it. And I just want us to look at this passage in Philippians we have here as part of of the whole book, as part of the whole uh, letter. And because it's, it's actually masterfully crafted and the way Paul usually writes, and Paul has written many letters, um, 13 altogether, uh, that's 50% of the New Testament, uh, 9 to churches and 4 to individual people. And normally when he writes letters to the churches, he has this typical um, Pauline uh, format where you'd have your first doctrinal half and you'd have your second practical half like we see in, in Colossians, uh, which Shane took us through. And... Normally, you'd have a singular uh, trust in, in those kind of letters. But Philippians is, is slightly different and unique because um, Philippians as the letter is really a response letter. It is a, a thank you letter because Paul has received a gift from uh, the Philippians through Epaphroditus. And he's responding to them and saying, thank you. Here's my letter. But knowing Paul, you're not just going to get a, a thank you letter. He's not going to write and says. Thank you very much. It's a lovely gift. Here you go, Epaphroditus. Go back uh, and deliver it. Because Paul, the way he is, you're going to get much more than just a thank you letter. And the way he's, he's written this, and we know that the Spirit is the author, and so we have this uh, glorious uh, composition. And the way we want to look at this segment is, as part of the whole, is the in the middle of the letter, we have this beautiful poem about the Lord Jesus and his example of humility in chapter 2. That though he was God, in the form of God, did not consider equality with God. And surrounding that then, surrounding that glorious um, poem, is all these mini segments, if you like. And all those segments, all these little sections, are expressions of Jesus' example. And so we're going to look at one such segment. Um, Paul, in this instance, uses himself and uses himself as an example and his circumstance in light of Jesus' ultimate example. And we'll see this later on with, with uh, he uses uh, Timothy, for example, and uses Epaphroditus and uses other people and um, circumstances to ex- reflect um, what Jesus' example set for us. And so normally um, Paul, Paul would write this, but, but because it's a unique letter, it's, it's, uh, he's gonna give, you're gonna get encouragement in this letter. You're gonna get exhortation, prayer, pastoral care. 
because he's planted that church in Philippi, and as well as updates of what his current circumstances. And so this is what the letter is. Have you ever um, received or even sent a thank you letter um, that has a very generic message? You know, you, you get it from a card from Duns and you just, you maybe sign at the end of it and then you, you send it on. And you normally do this, you mass send these things maybe as a response to a wedding gift or something and you just say thank you. But there's something different when you, have, when you get a customized, personalized letter, doesn't it? And which I've just received recently and I must say it's, it's something else when it's personally to you and it's, and it makes this connection from, uh, to the person who's sending it. There's this personal connection. And with Paul in this letter, we see this special relationship that he has with the church in Philippi. And so you can really feel the care and the, the conscious, um, um, pastoral care and encouragement that it's in the letter. And so, as we look at this letter, uh, we're going to see him give his own update on his circumstance. And let's look at verse 18 of, uh, of chapter 1. And it's the second half. And it says, yes, I will rejoice. Let's stop there for a minute. And Paul is saying, I will rejoice or I will continue to rejoice because he's been rejoicing before that. See the last passage said that he's been rejoicing despite the fact that there are preachers out there, there are teachers out there who are doing, who are, yes, they're preaching Christ, but they're doing uh, it in, out of selfish, selfish ambition. But he is still rejoicing because at least the gospel is being advanced. And he's rejoicing that I don't care. They might be doing it to hurt my reputation, but I, I'm rejoicing at the fact that the gospel is still advancing. I, yes, I am in prison. I am under house arrest. But the gospel is being advanced, and for that I'm rejoicing. And he, and he uses the same joy, and he's using the same rejoicing, and he's casting it forward here in this, in this passage. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is saying, I'm going to continue to rejoice. I've been rejoicing, I'm, I'm going to rejoice because... I know that I'll, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it's interesting here that you see this paradox, right? How can one be joyful and how can one be rejoicing when you're in prison, right? Paul is under house arrest. And we know something of being confined to our house for months on end, don't we? Would you say you're joyful those times? Um, Paul, well... Paul now is in a different degree. He was chained to a, a, a Roman guard. We're not chained to a Roman guard. But he's chained to a Roman guard, and he's under house arrest. And he probably doesn't know for how long. In hindsight, we know it's been two years. But at this point, he's chained there for, for months. And we have this paradox because how, how, can, how would you reconcile the two? How can you be joyful, and yet you're, you're bound in chains? And I think we'll only get that difficulty if we think of joy as happiness. I think Steve touched on this already. Happiness is not joy, and joy is not happiness. At least biblical joy isn't. Happiness, um, it has a cousin word. It's happenings, right? It's derived from the same word where happenings or hap happiness is based on the happenings, which is to say what? It's based on circumstance. And what do we know of circumstance? Circumstance change all the time. It fluctuates. It's as volatile as the Irish weather. And if you take that logic, you're only probably going to be happy, what, 20% of the time? Changes. 
But joy is not happiness because joy is not, you don't look at it side by side. Joy is what I'd call a transcendent word. It rises and above and looks beyond your circumstance. And Paul is joyful because his joy is rooted in heaven. His joy is rooted somewhere else. It's in our Savior. And that's why he can say he's, he can rejoice. Um, and so Paul looked at the, the future, which he doesn't know. And yet he says, I know. He says, he says with such confidence, I know, even though he doesn't really know the future. But, and yet he can have this confidence because he says, whatever happens to me, this will turn out for my deliverance. And he can be rejoicing through this journey. And he qualifies it with these two things. Look at me in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. So let's look at the first one, prayer. Now, prayer um, is a mark of a true believer. Um, The other thing I was going to say about this letter is it's an expression of what it is to be a mature believer. So when you read through Philippians, you get examples, uh, live case studies of what it is to be mature in Christ and what, it's, what it looks like to be um, mature in the faith. And, and I'm going to mention prayer as one that is a mark of a true believer. The people of God are a people of prayer. See, Christians don't do prayer. Christians are prayer. I know it doesn't make sense grammatically, but let me explain. Um, Christians don't pray out of religious activity. They don't, we don't pray because it's a ritualistic thing that you do. We shouldn't anyway. We don't pray like the others who would pray multiple times a day whenever they hear a siren call. That is not what uh, a mark of a believer is. When I say Christians are prayer because that's who we are. Who are you? Aren't you a redeemed child of God? Aren't you holy and completely dependent on your Father? Aren't you dependent on, uh, on Him of your eternal life in the next age? And so you are also dependent on Him in your present life in this age. And what does that look like? It looks like prayer. See, prayer is an expression of one's utter dependence, reliance, and trust on God. We don't pray out of, oh, I, have to, I, have to, I missed my quota of three times a day. I'm going to do it now. No, you pray because you're relying on Him. And we need Him every single day. And it looks like prayer. And so the church in Philippi are praying uh, for Paul. Um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of the famous preacher, he once said, and I, I love this beautiful quote, he says, Prayer is a slender nerve that moves the hands of omnipotence. That's a beautiful quote, isn't it? Now, that's not to say that we control God and God does whatever we say. That's not what it says. But rather, prayer, true prayer, we can see God clearly at work. Prayer is aligning our own perspective with His. It is our, it's more than just communicating with God. It is our divine link into His affairs. So when you pray... God give, lets you in on His plan. And, and so I just want to highlight that because prayer is, is very important to Christian life. And you'll see how much of an important it is because it's in the same sentence as the Spirit. It's, it's, I see this divine link. Um, if you ask yourself, you know, how would you gauge uh, your maturity in Christ as a Christian? 
Well, maybe start by asking, how's your prayer life? Right? How often do you pray? What do you pray about? Do you pray for others? And not just for yourself and for your family. We see already in verse 9 of this chapter that Paul has been praying for the Philippians. And his prayer is that they may abound in love more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. That's the kind of prayer a mature believer prays. Now, there's nothing wrong by asking for things for yourself. Prayers of supplication is more welcome. Do, by all means, ask. God hears. God answers. But the mature in Christ pray for others more and more. So I encourage us to to be conscious of what we pray for and do we consider others in our prayer. The second thing here that Paul says why he's confident is the Spirit. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit. The language here is actually a bit more potent than what we read here in English. It says here, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's not only uh, to say that Paul, uh, or Paul just uh, doesn't just benefit from the help that the Spirit provides. The very help itself is the Holy Spirit himself. And that's what he's saying here. And we see many times in the New Testament, and when you read the Gospels, you know, the Holy Spirit is also known by another name. He's the helper. In John 14, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Again in John 14, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And I love when you read the Psalms, you get glimpses of this. When in Psalm 46, for example, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I know emphatically it doesn't refer to the Spirit, but I still like to think that the daily help that I get is divinely supplied to me through the Spirit. And Paul is saying this, I have full confidence, not on my circumstance, because through your prayers and by the help of God, this will turn out for my deliverance. Look with me in in verse uh, 20 there. Um, Deliverance here doesn't just mean his his, um, temporary deliverance from prison. This could ultimately mean his ultimate deliverance, his very own salvation. And so he's saying here that all that has happened to me is working out to be, it's proving itself to be my ultimate deliverance. And in verse 20, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, um, whether by life or by death. He is, I think at this stage, he's forecasting his eminent trial, right? He's under house arrest. Because after this, he's going to undergo a trial. And when that uh, trial comes, he can be confident that whatever the verdict may be, which could result either in his release from prison or his execution, he, he can be confident that Christ will be honored. You know, in that human court, they were accusing me for proclaiming another king. And they think that's to be to my shame. He's saying, no, that's not to my shame. In God's court... Um, in, in Romans, he says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. In God's court, you are not put to shame when you're proclaiming Christ. They are put to shame because they're accusing him. And, and he says here, whether, whatever the outcome, whether by life or by death, 
Christ will be honored in my body. And such is his attitude. And it is a mature one um, to have because he has Christ's glory in mind in whatever he does. Um, it's a very interesting and a very uh, transcendent perspective, isn't it? Um, I am challenged uh, sometimes that I don't have that. I, I am very focused, fixated on what I see, street view. And yet Paul is seeing what God sees and says, whatever happens, Christ will be exalted. Um, now we get to verse 21 where I think it's one of his, you know, it crescendos into this uh, massive statement of Paul. It's one of the more famous uh, quotes that Christians like to take and maybe put in the plaque in their cars or in their posters at home. It's in verse 21. Look at me. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this is what Paul and his life is all about. If you could summarize Paul's life and condense it into one sentence, this is it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is the type of um, Christian who, who would do everything and anything for Jesus. His very breath, his very being is for. It's, it's more than just living for Christ. To live is Christ. He says uh, in, other, in his other letters that it's Christ who lives in me. You know, uh, He says in 2 Corinthians that this is what drives Paul. This is what drives forward. He has a, an internal engine that it is Jesus. Keeps, as long as he has breath and he has uh, energy to go, he will go. He's the type who would say, did you say there are people over there who haven't heard of Christ? Oh, they will. As long as I live, they, I'll make sure that they hear of Jesus. He says in Second Corinthians, for the love of Christ compels us. It's his main driving force. And then he continues on and says, because he gave his life, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but to him who gave himself up for me. And surely enough, history tells us, after this incident, he does get out of prison. He doesn't know that, but he does get out of prison. He would write more letters to churches, to people. He'd be shipwrecked again. He'd have another missionary journey. See, Paul just let loose, set him loose in the chain, he'll be off. He'll be off. He'd be imprisoned again, and guess for doing what? For preaching and proclaiming his Savior. Again, His life is all about Jesus. Another trait, another hallmark of a mature in Christ. Um, He uses uh, himself as an example. Typically, um, you'd hear it and he mentions another letter, follow me as I follow Christ. I can't quite say that personally for myself. I'll just go follow follow Jesus directly. But uh, he is setting an example here and, and one that we should follow. And here in the second half of that statement, he says, To die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Steve last week uh, told us about Jim Elliott and four other uh, missionaries who went to the jungles of Ecuador where they were murdered. And those men believed that they had something so valuable far greater than themselves, far greater a message to bring to the people that they thought it was worth dying for. They knew the risks. And, and what a great sacrifice it was. It was truly something worth dying for, as in taking a spear to the heart for Christ dying for. And it is a great sacrifice, uh, one which Jesus is most certainly worthy of, 
And through the years, God has used martyrdom through the centuries uh, to advance his gospel. And it's proven to be quite a great, uh, a good catalyst to, to in the process because many are emboldened as a result. You know, when you hear someone give their life for Christ in a public way, you are motivated to somehow there's a boost of courage when you hear our brothers and sisters do it that way. Even today, some of our brothers and sisters are faced with death on account of their faith. But for Paul, interestingly, dying for Christ in a physical way is seemingly here the lesser sacrifice of the two because he says death is gain. You know, and again, we have this another paradox. How can death be gain? Doesn't, isn't death bad? Don't we do anything that we can to stay alive and avoid death and to survive? But here, he expresses it as, as gain. You see, the believer and the mature among us have a different outlook and attitude towards death. And I think this is an important one because, and I know I'm moving into a more morbid topic here, but I must address death because it's the reality that we're all familiar with. Are you familiar with death? I'm sure you are. Um, and I have to address this. And sooner or later it will come to us. You know, um, the question is, in what form will that come for you? Will it come as gain? Or will it come as loss? Um, you know, the, the martyrs throughout the centuries, they see Jesus so vividly. They have a transcendent perspective. They only see Jesus that they don't notice the lions in front of them that's about to devour them and tear them to pieces. They don't see the crosses that will, they'll be hanging for hours on and eventually suffocate to death. They don't see the decapitations. They don't see the beheadings. They don't see the gunpoint. They see Jesus, and they see it as gain. This is a, a, it's almost like a supernatural perspective. And it really is. To the believer and to the mature among us, you have a different attitude towards death. And why do we celebrate death, and particularly death of Jesus? Isn't it bad we, we keep talking about death? We talk about it almost every week, if not twice a week. We talk about Jesus' cross and how terrible it is um, of what, what that cross is. And let's, not, let's never forget uh, Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. And we celebrate it because of what He's accomplished on it. He has purchased us through it. And we celebrate it because Jesus has overcome the grave, didn't you know? And that's why we sing about it every time. And one might wonder, and if they just hear the songs we sing, why do you sing about this death machine? Why do you sing about this torture device? Well, because Jesus has overcome the grave. We don't sing it in a morbid, morbid way. We sing it with glorious because that's exactly what death is for us. And for the believer, we have the same victory over death if we are in Christ. We have the same victory. And we can look at death square in its face and say, Death, you are gain." And I know I don't ponder about death too often, very rarely. And maybe because I think I'm young uh, and it's too far away. You know, people say, oh, you have your life ahead of you. But you know what? Jim Elliott was younger than I am right now. 
puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Makes you think. Um, I want to share a little story uh, about a friend of ours. Uh, we, many would know him, uh, Walter Burrell. We called him Wally. Um, I met him first when I was 12 years old, and my very first MCC camp, it was an intercamp, and it was back in the days when it was in Ballybunion. But Wally and his wife, uh, Mary, left a lasting impression on me. And just to say something about Wally, Wally is the kind of guy, he was a great evangelist. He talked about Jesus. Whenever you had a chat with him, you won't finish that conversation without hearing about Jesus. He's a great evangelist and a true fisher of men because right across the harbor there in Cove, you'll find him uh, fishing for some sailors. And uh, you'd, you'd see him bring sailors who are getting seasick or rather getting sick of the sea. And he'd put them in his car and guess where he'll bring them? He'll bring them to church. And it's almost a different group every week. And he was a great minister that he's had. But but just to say something about Wally, Wally, when Mary passed and she passed first, Wally was something different. He, 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 he spoke more of heaven more and more after that. And this is the kind of perspective and attitude he had. He would speak about looking forward to meeting his Savior. He would speak about being in heaven. And he would sing songs about looking when I get there, when I get to paradise. And I think this is something that God gives us. You know that lovely hymn that we sing in Christ alone, that fourth verse? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. We all possess that. And Paul exhibits this here to us. He couldn't care less if the verdict says, Paul, you're going to get executed he says, that's gain. He actually says in verse 23, that it's far better. I'll be with Jesus. Death, you'll just be a blip. I'll blink. I'll blink next. I see Jesus in front of me. And this is why he can say that death is gain. And I'm sure uh, Wally right now is with his Savior today and enjoying his presence. And that is something that we can possibly um, taking uh, encouragement from and to emulate that we don't know when death will come to us. God knows, but when it comes to us, are we ready? And uh, Steve said that, that those missionaries, they were ready. They were ready to forsake their young families. Loss? No. To them it was gain because they gained Jesus. And then so Paul says here that if I am to live in the flesh, so he considers that, and he considers the other possibility as well, that if I were to live in the flesh, that would mean fruitful labor for me. Look in um, verse 22 there. And yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Actually, the, the word there is used in the superlative, that would be the best. That would be the best thing that could ever happen to me, is to die, is to depart, because I'll be with Christ. And But if that's not the case, which we know it won't be the case, because he'll be released from prison, I'll continue on. And he has the same attitude. Again, if I could say another hallmark of a believer is that attitude of service. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means more. Okay, that's great. I get more time to serve you guys. And we can continue this partnership that we have, Philippians, of this advancing the gospel. And 
It's not equally great, but it's still really good, and he gets really excited about the prospect. And when I, when I get, if I get out of here, I will continue with you and advance in the gospel, and I'll be doing more and more of what I've already been doing, proclaiming Christ. Um, as an engineer, I'm an engineer, and some of you know, I like to quantify stuff, you know. Uh, I like stuff with metrics. Uh, I like key performance indicators, intervals, units, that kind of way. Something that you can gauge and you can tangibly measure. And for me, uh, as a measure that I can sometimes use uh, in the Christian, and their level of maturity is their service. Now, this disclaimer here, I'm not saying that that is a one-for-one conversion or that is a linear uh, direct correlation. No, what I'm saying is if you are mature in Christ, you're a servant. You'll be serving. And I'm not even saying um, the amount of serving that you do. No, Um, the attitude by which you serve is a mark of whether you're mature in Christ. And Paul exhibits that here. He gets this excitement. Great, I'll continue on. Um, I say that because I can say that I serve, but if I'm completely honest, I've served with my feet dragged on the floor <laughs> at times. Uh, I've served with a slight huff and puff in my breath. I've served with, you know, a little bit of that. And, I, and I'm convicted because, no, our attitude should be, it is Christ who we're serving. We heard that from Colossians. He is our master, not men. And so, if you're a believer today, you are gifted by the Spirit to use it for uh, His service. And don't think whatever you do is mundane and tedious and small and menial. If you're doing anything at all for the kingdom, it is worth it. It it has eternal implications. It is the best thing you could do in service. You know, when I I think about what I do in my secular job, in my job at work, it sounds so important and many people make big fuss about it. But when I step back and think about that, what I do here really has no consequence. I build websites, I write software. What's that going to do? Nothing. But if I deliver a flyer and if I say something about to someone about Jesus, that will last a life, more than a lifetime, an eternal lifetime. Put things in perspective. When you're serving and serving Christ, it's part of a much bigger, uh, much bitter, b- bigger uh, plan that God has, and He's involved you to do that. And so be encouraged, and I'm actually encouraged when I saw that Instagram post of the men and some of you guys who delivered the flyers, because you might think you're just putting flyers through the door, but... Let me encourage you, you're doing uh, kingdom work. You're doing eternal work. And, and so I encourage all of us that we can serve in any way we can, um, but do it with an attitude uh, that is a good attitude and that you're, do, uh, you're serving Christ. Um, he says here, if I am to live on, I get to serve you guys uh, for long, and just to finish, he says he also says in verse twenty four that but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in, G- in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Um, Paul is saying here he 's not being conceited and saying, guys, you know if i 'm released it 's good for you because i 'm around." 
you know, you can boast in me because I got out of prison. He's not saying that. He's not being conceited. Rather, he's saying you can boast in Christ Jesus. Guess what? Because you can see him working in my life. You, I can be a source of encouragement and joy for you because you can see God clearly at work with, in my life. And that's what he's saying. And he's just giving them an update of where he is in prison and what his attitude is towards the future. And I'm sure that for us reading this and for the Philippians reading that, they are encouraged. Um, and just so to finish, many people would think of Paul as a you know, quote-unquote super Christian. But he's not a super Christian in the sense that he, he's, get, he's gotten more grace than us. You know, he'd actually be the first one to, to debunk me and say, No, Andrew, I am just as saved as much as you are saved. I've just received, I've received grace as much as you've received grace. We're all saved equally. But I would say this and qualify this super Christian uh, that is Paul, is that he's mature. And he's mature because he's spent time in his communion with his Savior. Um, he, he's making his life all about Christ. And so for us, may we look at his example. Our ultimate example is, of course, Jesus Christ. He's following, Paul is following Jesus, and so we should follow Paul. We have here um, mentors. We have here examples. You can be an example as well to others. And so we can, we can do that and take encouragement. And, and so that is my passage for today. And I hope that God will use it to, to encourage your hearts and to convict you, to challenge us. And so as we go into our Lord's table, let's, let's pray. Uh, take of the bread and the juice. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're using it to change our lives. You're transforming our lives bit by bit, Lord. We are growing together as your body, albeit at a different rate, um, but we are progressing towards more uh, Christ-like. And so, Lord, thank you that you're doing this through prayer, through our service, through encouragement from others. And I thank you, Lord, that you're always at work and we can be fully confident that whatever you've started, you will bring to completion. And we can look forward to glory as if it's already done. And so, Lord, help us to to persevere in these times. Even though our circumstance might change, we can have confidence and be joyful because our joy is rooted in you. And so, Lord, as we take this Lord's table, may we remember our Savior, who, though being in the form of God, did not account equality with him but uh, became human like us and he was obedient and he was obedient to the point of death even death on the cross and so lord help us remember him right now in jesus name amen Um, as the servers distribute the the bread and the juice we're going to sing a song and at the end uh, we're going to take it together